0: Good morning, you guys. We are back again with Kicking Cancer Cares, and our sponsor for the second half is right here in our studio. Do you even need to
1: read your little... <laughs> Why don't we let Marianne tell the listeners who sponsors this half of the I show? I tried
0: to last time she was here, and she said, no, 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 you no, want her to You just do it? it. You want her to just read I it? I like the way she reads it. Okay, it's well, so Go no, ahead.
1: Do you, read you? It. you read it. You read it. Okay.
0: <laughs> so our sponsor for the second half is Marianne McNally. She is a residential real estate specialist with Next Home Realty Connection. So if you're looking to buy a home or sell a home, or you're just not really even sure where to start or what it looks like, but you want to get down that road, give her a call at 503-409-4389. Again, that's 503-409-4389. And continue to keep her in your prayers as well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: as we as we ended the last half of the show, we had, Mary had just told us a great story about her dad, and here it is December. And as w- much as we get tired of the rain, we were not in that forest right, with that absolutely cold and trees that became shrapnel and spears. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't even imagine what her dad went through in that forest.
2: Can I ask what a foxhole is? So it's where they dig the ground out, and they basically make... Um, a, pit. a divot a pit okay yeah and then usually it's big enough for two people
1: okay and Except then you try to dig it into frozen
0: ground right yeah.
2: yeah and you're and and then you cover it with something sometimes people would just cover it with trees that okay. have fallen just to give them some and also to hold the heat in right okay no yeah. sorry i was just curious what it no. was
1: no and there's a lot of movies you can watch uh, there's a very intriguing movie uh well if you watch okay if you ever watch the movie wonder woman there's a scene where she's in World War One and they've dug they've dug massive pits that they can actually walk through. They're literally trenches. Mm-hmm. But now you're below the surface, your head's below the surface, which gives you a place to hide and the enemy can't like shoot you in the head. Right. Except you're trying to dig these pits in this frozen ground in Belgium. Gosh. So that's why they said, you know, that they were hard to even find, right? Because there was very few of them. Mm-hmm. So, well, so she told us this, relived the story of her dad, um, and then her dad gets invited up to get this amazing French Medal of Honor on November the nineteenth, two thousand nine. Which at the same time, you got a phone call that you had breast cancer.
2: Yes, I was told I had lobular breast cancer, which I did not remember. All I remember him saying is you have a unique type of breast cancer because obviously when you hear the word cancer, you just immediately your head goes elsewhere. So they walk back in the room and they're like, okay, Marianne, your family, it's time to get up and get a picture. And so we're all standing there and I'm standing right next to my dad and I'm like this force. Smile that... I mean, you look at it, and I look like I'm a deer caught in headlights. Right. And I, all I know... And this is
1: within minutes of finding out... You minutes. I can't, of finding out.
2: The only person that knows, obviously, is my husband. And we're standing there, and it is... It is so hard to look like you're oh yeah, happy for him. I mean, obviously, I was happy for him to get the award, but it was also very devastating. devastating to hear yeah. that, yeah, exactly.
1: So back up for a second. You said that you had lobular what is exactly is lobular breast cancer?:
2: Lobular breast cancer is is it the cancer is in the lobes? Of the breast,
1: which is different than the ducts, correct. So, so Brenda had invasive ductal carcinoma, which has been where the milk is produced as the ducts. Mm-hmm. So, yours is not in the ducts, it's in so the, the lobes.
2: The, 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 the ducts are what pushes the milk, that's where the milk transfers out to the baby. The the lobes look like broccoli hanging off of the ducts, and that's where the the, the milk is. Produced and coming from is in there, so yeah. There's but
1: lobular breast cancer is not unique, or is it unique?
2: At the time, he said it was unique, because only at that time it's changed. But at that time, only out of all the women that get breast cancer, only five percent got lobular. Oh wow! But now it's up to ten percent. Ten percent of women are are getting lobular. I don't know why it's increasing.
1: And yours was also HER2 negative.
2: Correct. PR positive, ER positive, so meaning hormone positive, and then HER2 negative.
1: And I'm just going to throw out, I have no scientific evidence to back this up, but this is my own personal theory. Because the ductal region is inside of the breast where the the lobular is surrounding it. There's a lot of girls, especially younger girls I see, that they believe the area between your breast and your bra is where you hold your phone. It's like a pocket. Oh, right. I see them a lot putting their phone between the breast and the bra. Mm-hmm. Except that phone is that phone is emitting radiation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So just food for thought. It's not a pocket. Yeah. <laughs> and that could be a contributing factor. That's why it's gone from four percent to six percent. Again, I have. That's just my own personal right. theory. Right. But I see that, and then knowing what I know now, I'm like, that phones are emitting radiation, and it's right there on your breast tissue. Mm-hmm. So, just food for thought. Um, But how did they treat your cancer in 2009? What did they do for your cancer back then?
2: So back then, the first line was to um, have surgery. So I had a bilateral mastectomy followed with the beginning of um, reconstruction, then went into chemotherapy and did chemotherapy from February to the end of June, beginning of June, sorry, and then started radiation in July. So by the end of August, I was completely done with treatment.
1: End of August 2010? 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. Did they ever test to see if it went metastatic?
2: Um, yes, because they, they, they check your sentinel node, which is in your armpit, and I had... Um, I had 12 positive lymph nodes under my in, in my armpit, which then they had to take 17 lymph nodes because they have to go so many past it, till they find no no evidence of any cancer cells. Took those out, and then at that point they told me that I had a 67% chance that it would metastasize. We just didn't know when it would happen. Right.
1: So, so you knew that you had metastatic breast cancer.
2: No, that's not considered metastatic.
1: There's a chance that it could be metastatic. Right. And the reality is that it was metastatic.
2: Yeah, that it, by 2012 was when the first spot showed up and it was on my rib. And so it's very hard to get a biopsy on your rib because of the, the curvature of the rib. And so they tried to go in and get a sample of it and drill into it and pull it out. But they just, they could never get there. And then it was um, a couple years later, then I had one on my scapula, my shoulder blade. And then I ended up with one on my pelvis. So the one on my pelvis, they were able to biopsy. And then that, so it was 2018, when they could confirm that it was metastatic.
1: So the reality, Amanda, is that in 2009, she she had breast cancer that was metastatic. And it went into her bones.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the first question I asked Marianne is that when she said that they were treating her breast cancer in her bones, I'm like, how do they How do they know it's not bone cancer? Mm-hmm. But the cells look like breast cancer cells. That's right. why they know it's breast cancer that's gone to the bones. Yes. So in 2018, it goes metastatic to your bones, um, and they started doing chemo. And you were telling me that there was some numbers that had gone as high as 3,000.
2: Yes. So they they check, not all doctors do, but my doctor checks tumor markers. There's um, two different breast cancer tumor markers that they check. And they were, the high on one is 25, the high on another is 35. And they had been slowly creeping up. And we were trying all these different um, lines of therapy. And... Right now, the medication that I'm on is my eighth line of therapy. And um, my tumor markers got up to, in August, September, it was September. My highest, they were both over 3,000, which it, it's just, it, if you take that and you, you, you follow it, and O25 oh, is, is normal, that everybody has cancer cells in their body. It's just whether your body chooses to to attack it and fight it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I am now up to the 3,000s. And,
1: and at that point, you told me that they decided to stop the chemotherapy because your bone marrow was just... It was exhausted. Exhausted. <laughs> They're hitting her bone marrow with chemotherapy. That's not working. It, the numbers are going up, and the, chemo, the bone marrow is exhausted. So they pulled you off from it. And I remember having this conversation with you a few months ago, and you were a little discouraged.
2: Very discouraged. Be, be, yes.
1: Maybe a little. A very. Under, a <laughs> very discouraged. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I, it's it's hard to because all these drugs you have side effects. There there's n- not really any drug that you can take that does not have some side effect. And right. then, then you have to take another pill to help that side effect. And, you know, so you're constantly feeling like you've got this pharmacy in your bathroom, you mm-hmm. know, that you're looking at. Um, so in September, my... No, 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 sorry. In August, my doctor decided, okay, you need some kind of treatment. You can't have chemotherapy because of your bone marrow there's this drug out there that is a, what's called a targeted therapy, and it targets one gene mutation, and I have that gene mutation. I also have three others, so I have a total of four different cancer gene mutations. So this one drug is um, solely to go after that one, and that's has that was my biggest amount of, of breast cancer gene mutation. And... Every Thursday morning at the at Salem Health, they do what's called Cancer conference. And at Cancer Conference, they present cases that are a little uh, tougher, and the doctor needs a second opinion. Help me through this. Help me think about this. What can we do? Like all the anyone that's involved in breast cancer is there, even, even the plastic surgeons in town are oh, there yeah. because they deal with women also that have um, breast cancer. Right. So she comes back after, after going there, and she said, I presented that I want you to start taking this this drug called PICRAY. and this drug will target your one gene mutation. And she said, people are saying that you shouldn't take it because it doesn't work on anybody. There are so many bad side effects. Women end up getting hospitalized. It. They were like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to her? And he, she, all she said was, I just feel like it could work on her. And so I started, and it's a pill I take every day, started taking it, and I went in three weeks later, and my... And my tumor markers had gone from over three thousand to cut in half.
0: no way
2: in three weeks. and literally, my doctor came in the room jumping and crying. <laughs> she was bet. so excited. she was like, "I can't even believe this is working on you, Marion. It doesn't work on people. Everybody begs me to take you know take them off of it. I'll take anything else. Just don't give me this drug." And so and this was
1: the eighth treatment you had done because yeah. seven of them hadn't worked. Right.
2: Right. So then uh, the, one of the PAs knocked on the door because she needed my doctor's signature on something. And she pulls her in because <laughs> I also see her frequently. And she's like, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe this. It's working on her. And uh, – Her name is Rebecca. Rebecca looks at me and she said, I did not think this was going to work. I thought for sure we were going to see you and you were going to be so sick and you're going to be in the hospital. And I said, I'm so glad I didn't know any of this. (laughs) Well, and the
1: great thing is it went from, you said it went from, in three weeks, went from 3,000 in half to 1,500, except it went in half again.
2: Yeah, every time we test now, it goes in half. So now they're both right at 200. So that's a there,
1: huge win, Amanda. It's huge. It's to huge. go from 3015 yeah. to 750 to in your, w-
0: 3 weeks.
1: Yeah. So every yeah. every 3 weeks it's going in half and now you're down to 200.
2: Yeah. Which Just is a much more time. manageable number. Well, yeah, and it, it and what is amazing is I have one side effect from the drug. The the only side effect is I have high blood sugar. So basically It's like I have diabetes. Right. And so um, I have to check my blood sugar. I need to manage what I eat, watch what I eat, things like that get a little bit more exercise because that helps your blood sugar levels. So, Which is um, better
1: than the other side effects you told me about.
2: Oh, yeah. I well, mean, other women were having horrible side effects. Growing
1: up, yeah. diarrhea. Well, and
0: yeah. then those types that kind of will help you manage eating, which I mean, and exercising, which is probably honestly a benefit as well.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, anyway, I... I'm now begging her not to take me off of it. (laughs) Like if she wants to try something else, I'm going to be like, no, don't do it. Don't do it.
1: Well, so I had asked you this question before, and I think it really ties back to the start of the show, Amanda, when we talked about her dad and being there in December 1944. You've gone through years now of it came back, it's in your bones, I try this, it doesn't work, I try this, it doesn't work. Yeah, you know, seven different things weren't yeah. working. What, what keeps you motivated to keep fighting this cancer?
2: So I have two things that, that I think about. Obviously my family, I have two kids, they're grown adults, they have significant others, but obviously, you know, they're still your babies. Oh yeah. And so I don't, I don't want to miss a thing with them. And so what what gives me, other than them, what gives me my motivation is I do think about my dad being in Bastogne, Belgium and going through the worst winter on record there and thinking, how did you make it out of there? It's insane how you could live through that. Mm -hmm. And they were there... um, weeks. I mean, they were still there in the middle of, of January. His best friend was killed on January 10th. And so, um, I think about that and I think about him, um, being able to make it through something so awful and why can't I? Right. Gives you motivation and drive. I can do this. You know, I, I have, I have a, it's in my genes. House. Yeah. yeah, it's in my genes. I have a house. I have a warm house. I have, you know, I'm very fortunate. All I have to do is put forth some real effort yeah. to this cancer. And, and I'm not even doing half as what my dad went through.
0: Right.
1: There's a spot in the book. Do you mind if I read this spot about your dad and the, the, the gun? the <laughs> So it's interesting because the guy that writes this book, again, Marianne didn't write the book. She collaborated to get the information in the book, but this guy does a great job. He says, so this is a point where they've gone through the forest, it's incredibly cold. There's a few series of events in the book that you want to read that lead up to this moment. But here's Marianne's dad. Later, as afternoon turned to evening, Malarkey, that's her dad, stood as numb as a statue his right hand cupped around the cold stock of a P-38 pistol in his pocket. He could tell people it was an accident. That They had, had the gun in his pocket and it just accidentally went off. A man with a bullet in his foot was a liability to his unit. He would be sent back to England. He'd be out of the cold, bloody, hopeless, hell that he was living in. Marlock looked around at the tattered remains of the 506 E.D. Company, then he looked at the remains of himself. His feet were numb, his stomach empty, his spirits as shattered as a hundred tree burst. Could it get any worse? But he didn't do it, did he?
2: Mm-mm. Nope. And
1: what I thought was interesting is, I've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. and that shows the amount of devastation that happened on the beach. If you were on the beach, you just saw a lot of death. But her dad wasn't on the beach. He parachuted behind enemy lines. So he hadn't seen that until they got to Bow the Bulge. Mm-hmm. And then he was, again, what they call war war fatigue.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where your brain... Com- combat fatigue. Combat fatigue. And you just, you just see this death around you on a regular basis. Yeah. And, you know, how easy it would be to just shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah,
2: that can have a huge toll on you.
1: Yeah, but he didn't do it.
2: Yeah, can you imagine the guilt he would feel... After that, after he had done it and then came home and he wasn't there to finish.
1: Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, he he feels yeah, survivor hard. guilt or he felt survivor guilt, but I think he would have felt worse guilt mm-hmm. if he had a shot himself in the foot and then walked away from his friends. Because, yeah, yes. and then he's letting
2: his comrades down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he was, um, you know, people always talk about, oh, you must have been so proud of your dad. I mean, growing up with a war hero and... People don't understand that we didn't really know him as a war hero. Right. Literally until... Later in the eighties, like really understood what until what,
1: Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks got involved,
2: right? Then, yeah, <laughs> that was that was a totally different level. But until we started going to the reunions, I didn't get to go to the first one with my dad. But I've gone had started going to others, and then and then you would start picking up stories from other people and hearing other guys and hearing things, and and you think that if they are when they talk about the Greatest Generation, they they are a great generation of men. But also, he was my dad. Mm -hmm. And as as a little kid, there is nobody that, you know, is better than your mom and your dad. Mm -hmm. And so, we didn't really think of him that way, because we literally didn't know him that way. It was all news to us Mm -hmm. when all of this started coming out, which, you know, I was so grateful that my dad was alive for this, the happy part of it, and being able to, Tom Hanks, you know, calling and saying, hey, I need you to go here and do a press release, and I need you to go, you know, and a limo would pull up in front of my parents' house, and I'm there taking pictures and videos of them getting into the limo. And I was so happy that he got to go through these fun things, these really after, happy after things. Crappy mm-hmm. the yeah, after all of that nonsense. I mean, obviously it's not nonsense, but it's it's so um, it was so impactful on his life that he needed that to be able to get to a place where he was forgiving himself. Mm-hmm. So the book, Saving My Enemy, is about giving forgiveness, and it's about my dad giving forgiveness to a German soldier and a German <laughs> soldier, soldier <laughs> giving forgiveness to my dad. These were both old men that wanted to now relieve themselves of this burden that they've mm-hmm. been carrying their whole lives, and and being able to get into heaven, because yeah. that was my dad's number one thing. He said, I'm not going to heaven. I was, I was a bad person in the war, and I'm like... Dad, you were doing everything that you were told to do. Mm-hmm. You were told to save the world. Right. So that all the Americans went over there to help the Allies, and, you know, we, we won. And, and I think even in Germany, they were happy that the Americans won because they had such a, um, a dictator that was leading them in, in the wrong directions. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: and when you read the book, you get the same sense from Fritz so at ten years old, Germany's in Germany's in rubble from World War One, and, and Fritz is a ten-year-old kid who grows up in Hitler's youth. So by the time he's fighting, he's he believes he's fighting for the right reason because that's mm-hmm. what he was told. And somewhere in the war, he begins to realize Hitler's not who I thought he was. Right. So he had to forgive himself too. It's a great. It really yeah. is a great, yeah. book. It a great book.
2: It was a. It was an amazing. Um, few meetings that they had but they had lots of letters back and forth to each other which we have taken and printed them in a book and so you know like you get from shutterfly yeah so we have them all like so they won't ever fade you know it to keep all of this history of them writing back and forth to each other and and talking about their their children and their grandchildren and all that happy stuff yeah you know they they both you know my dad my dad served The most days in combat in Easy Company. And when you are on the front lines for that many days, it it was Mm. a horrendous amount of days. You're going to walk away with killing people. Yeah. And and what are you taught? Yeah. You're taught not to kill people. Yeah. And... And Fritz, on, on the other side of it, he's fighting three kilometers away from where my dad is. And so he felt bad for, number one, not walking away and, and saying, I'm not following Hitler anymore. And, and as Bob would say, the Bob Welch who wrote the book, he was a pawn of Hitler. And And, and then Fritz also did not shoot his gun. He oh. never had to kill someone. And then there's that guilt of, well, I didn't make my
0: contribution. Right. my contribution. Right. I didn't can contribute.
2: Yeah. And at the end of the book, really fast, I know we're almost out of time, but yeah, right. the author gave us e- each a word to write about. We had to write about um, family, peace, and forgiveness. And so I was given forgiveness and the, and Fritz's boys were given um, family and um, peace. And I I think that is like almost the best part because I loved Mm -hmm. reading what they wrote. And it's just a fun way to end it.
1: If somebody wanted to get this book, how could they get it, Marianne?
2: Um, Amazon.
1: Amazon. Yep, Amazon. So just look up Saving My Enemy on Amazon.
2: Okay, perfect. Well, we
1: are so glad you came and yes, gave us an update you so on much. you, how you're yeah. doing, and, and this amazing story yes, of your father. great
0: news. Okay, you guys, so we're going to wrap this up. So Marian McNally, who's here with us right now, is a residential real estate specialist with Home Realty Connection. So if you're looking to buy a home or sell a home, give her a call. She's definitely your go-to at 503 409 43 and also continue to pray for her. It sounds like they are working, but still very much needed. We'll be back next week. As as the movement continues. continues.